1: Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you
0: ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. This is MMA Junkie, Junkie Radio. We roll it!
1: What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Monday. Excited to talk Mixed Martial Arts with you for the next hour or so. We got a fun interview with Randy Couture, the legend. He's part of PFL now and PFL as we turn the page from UFC 291 this past week. PFL is one of the uh, promotions that has a show this week. So we'll talk to him not only about that, but about, of course, the sport in general. He always has good opinions on all the big stories that happen in our sport. He's a pioneer for crying out loud, paved the way for a lot of what occurs in our sport. Um, We're also gonna obviously unpack UFC 291, took place in Salt Lake City this past Saturday, for the BMF title was uh, up for grabs, for Justin Poirier and, sorry, Justin Gagey and Dustin Poirier. I'm trying to get to my cute little joke here. The Ustins were fighting for the BMF title. Of course, with Mosvidal now being retired, they were looking for a new BMF, and that was what was at stake. We'll talk about all that and the latest news. See you soon. I got to give credit to... Kamaro Uzman, he's the one that called it the Ustens. I was laughing. I think he said it on Embedded. Did you catch the Embedded goes going into UFC two ninety one?
2: I only caught two of them.
1: You know, I liked it. You saw when Bohovich went out and checked out the rodeo and everything.
2: Yeah, that one, that one was really cool.
1: I think Blahovich, honestly, even though he's forty, is a star in the UC, and I think could be a bigger star. And I'll tell you why.
2: It's so he, funny. along
1: with Habib. And um, a few other guys, I forget the Chinese fighter's name, the welterweight that we were giving praise to that fought, um, what was it, Daniel Rodriguez, or I forget who he fought last year. Um, there's a few of the foreigners that just light up and know how to uh, appeal to the camera. And Bohovich was one of them. That said, boy, was I crushed that. Blahovic, I think, lost that fight because of cardio. Now, of course, I'm not about to say you should have been going to less rodeos and skipping rope or getting No, I think I think just not showing up a week or two earlier may have cost Jan Blahovic that. But I'll tell you what, let's get to the top. We'll start with BMF and then we'll work our way down. We'll get to Blahovic eventually. Um, Justin Gaethje defeated Dustin Poirier in round two of their BMF title fight. In the main event at UFC 291, it was a nice head kick to uh, the side of the head of Dustin Poirier. It came from Justin Gaethje's right leg going up and kind of mimicking what Leon Edwards did to Kamaru Uzan in the exact same arena one year beforehand, Justin being Kamaru's teammate. So it was kind of like uh same kick. Involving two teammates, except one was on a losing effort and one was on a winning effort. That's why they kept showing it over and over. Uh, There was like a punch that Gagey threw with his right hand that Hoya had to deal with, with what we call carrying and boxing, just kind of swapping it to the side. But using enough time to occupy that hand and Hoya not getting back able to block the kick is kind of what did him in. Koye on social media told him, hey, he gave him a lot of props for that for that setup and everything. Uh, it ended fast because this fight, these two fighters usually go into deep waters. And we usually expect to see at least 15, 20 minutes of fighting. But it was over quick. Gagey got the job done.
2: Dude, the, so that fight, obviously, well, I don't want to say obviously because I think a lot of people said it. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere, anything near what the first fight looked like. That pace, you just don't see it too much. I always think of Don Frye and and Takayama when people would ask them, why why didn't you guys fight again? They always say, because we never could replicate what we did in that first one. I don't think they could replicate what they did in the first one. I thought they'd have to be smarter in this one. They're in different places in their career. But Justin Gagey really impressed me. He really impressed me in the sense that he took his time. He stuck to a game plan. We even saw glimpses of this in his last fight. If Justin Gagey can fight like this all the time, then I think he, he poses a bigger threat at possibly capturing a title. It's when he gets wild, you know, like the fight with Michael Chandler, when he's doing crazy shit like that, that's when you're like, you just can't keep doing that over and over and hoping things go your way. When he's a smart fighter, when he's calculated, he is unstoppable. Dustin Poirier did not look bad in the fight. I thought he looked pretty damn good. It was just a matter of Justin Gagey being better. Yeah,
1: he did, and I guess what I want to jump to because we we shared a lot of thoughts on spinning backlick today, and you can you can catch that on a replay right now at our YouTube channel, YouTube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. Did Gaethje show you enough where you think he can defeat Islam Makashev or Charles Oliveira because that's his ultimate mm-hmm. goal? So did he kind of In beating Poirier and kind of auditioning for the title fight, did he show you that?
2: The thing about Justin Gagey is I think it'd be ridiculous to say in a rematch he can't beat Olivera. I mean, he's proven before that in rematches he can put things together. He just did it. But I just feel like Makachev's style would be easier for Justin Gagey to uh, fight him off and land good shots on him with Oliveira, it just feels like one mistake and you're just done. And I feel like that could happen in a rematch with Justin Gagey. So for me, I mm. feel like Makachev might be the... I think Makachev is the tougher fighter, but I think he's the better matchup for Justin Gagey. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, against Fiziev, he kind of struggled early, remember? But then he kind of figured it out. Gagey, the one thing that's not going to happen with him is he's not going to break. But The one thing that's always concerned me about him, Poirier, and Chandler, and even McGregor, if you want to throw them in there, these guys are superstars. They're showmen. They're entertainers. Tough as nails. But, boy, do I get nervous. Throw Alvarez in that group. Throw Pettis in that group. Boy, do I get nervous when one of those big, strong Dagestani guys just finally get that takedown and eventually get you to turn your back and give up that neck. A lot of them just can't seem to really – get out of that, you know what I mean? And I'm wondering if Gagey is going to work on that because the striking, he's got it down. The takedown defense, he can do it. It's once you get down to the ground, what do you got, you know? And we Mm -hmm. thought Oliveira might have something for them because he's so tricky off his back. He's a submission machine. But, man, the minute you get crushed with a few fists or some elbows, boy, does everything change and like i say makachev is just getting started i'm not trying to compare him to habib by any means um he's lost unlike habib but you know it looks like he still is going to get better and better and better too to, you know does any does anyone have anything for the champ right now that's why i'm i'm just not as excited for oliveira yet i wanted to see one more matchup out of oliveira before he got to makachev part 2 and i haven't seen that now Alex Volkanovsky's different goes. Makashev had him down, and not only did Alex Volkanovsky look comfortable, he looked confident down there. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. is what I think can trouble Makashev the most as of this moment from what I can tell, but he's busy being the featherweight champ. He had his shot. I'd love to see a part two, but just not yet.
2: I was with you, um, your sentiments towards Oliveira, until I thought about it and he did kind of take the toughest fight you could take at that moment. And because of that, I'm okay with him going back in there. At first I was like, I feel like it needs to be two, but because he thought, because he took who I thought was probably the hardest out and got the finish and everything. I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. Um, but you're right. Like that's the funny thing about Volkanovsky. He's just going to be attached to, to Makachev until Makachev can do something. That even gives us any inkling as to like maybe saying, maybe that was just an off night, you know. Maybe Volkanovski just kind of caught him on an off night. He needs to stamp out Oliveira to kind of get back some of that swag because I feel like he lost. He won the fight, but he lost some swag in that fight.
1: Yeah, maybe if Oliveira hadn't seen so uninterested when he interviewed him, when we interviewed mm-hmm. him at the expo. He just did not sound like he wanted Makachev in October. Not only was it too soon, it was the location. He just was not into it. The UFC must have come in with some big money. And if that was part of his strategy, then my mind's more at ease. But if they basically just told him take it or leave it and forced him into it, geez, man, I hope he's really digging deep and getting there. Because I feel him. Look, the guy's a star himself, and he's done a lot, fought all over the world. But to go back to the same location where you got whitewashed, who knows? But well, look, let's go back to UFC 291. Gagey wins. He's probably next against the winner, probably even over to Volkanovski. Volkanovski's got his own set of problems right now with Ilya Toporia anyway. So he probably should address that, and then he can get back a look and maybe to become a champ, champ again. In the coming event, Jan Blachowicz lost to Alex Fajeda. He lost a split decision, folks, before you even get into judges and robberies and all that. All three commissions, sorry, all three uh, referees are respected judges. I call them Nevada judges, and what I mean by that is, it's usually that rotation that you see in Nevada. Those are the highest level judges that we have. So I believe it was Cleary, Camillo, and Ron McCarthy. Um, As soon as I heard their names, I was comfortable with it. It was Camillo that disagreed with the other two. The other two gave it to to There was no 10-8 in round one. I kind of agreed with that. I wouldn't have been disappointed if there was one, but I was more on the side that there shouldn't be one because there was dominance and duration with his back take with that body triangle. But there really there really wasn't a deep sinking of the rear naked choke. There wasn't the ground and pound that causes the damage, that being the key word of the 3D's damage. So that's why I was more towards it not happening. None of the, the All three judges kind of agreed. And I thought Lehovich could have won the fight if he just had better cardio, but the other takedowns he had, he couldn't do much with it. His striking, it went out the window, too. He was just taxed, goes, after round
2: one, even though he secured it. That's the thing. is, like, It's a win for Pereira, but I think we all feel like, had that fight taken place anywhere else, I wouldn't say it was an easy win for Blahovic, but he looked like he just would have been in control of that fight. And the 10-8, I'm glad they didn't give it, because I didn't think it deserved it but it wasn't that far away from it. And I thought for some reason, maybe one of the three judges m- might've done it, but they didn't. And I think that's the right call. And that, that's a good thing. You know, we're, we're constantly on here talking about judging and what they need to do to get better. Well, I think they kind of showed us here that, that they, they all three made the right call in that round.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Real quick goes, if you don't mind, can I just take it? To another complete subject right now just because as i was hitting refresh on my ufc 291, uh you know my the basically the recap that we have i hit the wrong button and i came across dave not dave uh kiwi herman paul rubens passed away did you hear that really it's being reported right now yeah it just happened in the last oh. 20 minutes or so right before we started the show he succumbed to cancer at the age of seventy. I can't believe he's seventy years old
2: for kind of Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that sucks. Um, kind of grew up on Pee Wee Herman, and I actually yeah. saw a meme that cracked me up so hard the other day, because it showed Pee Wee Herman in his little tight suit, and it said, "It's funny that like now your kids are wearing this to prom, and it's true, they dress <laughs> like that." And we used to that was kind of like the thing that we so would cool. laugh about. Back in the day, right, was a Peewee suit. Now it's actually something they wear. But yeah, he, um, holy crap, man, yeah, that one sucks.
1: With their cute little bow ties and everything.
2: Yeah, just I mean, maybe trade out his dress shoes for tennis shoes. They like to do that, but
1: yeah. Mm. All right, let's get back on track here. So Vejeda may have locked up one of the two vacant spots for that uh, eventual title. The undisputed vacant. The vacant. The undisputed vacant title that's uh available there in the UFC's light heavyweight division due to jamal hill relinquishing his belt yuri sorry uh, jiri prashaska is probably the favorite to be the other side but we still haven't heard that he's back and ready to go although we might hear that he's back and ready to go in a fight booking versus alex vejeda who knows but there's another fight that just got booked over the weekend, too. Malcolm Meta Goliath versus Johnny Walker, UFC 294, in uh, Abu Dhabi. So maybe that one might produce the, the other side if Oshaska isn't ready to go. But I think is in a good position right now.
2: I think he is. I think the UFC um, all but says it, that they, you know, they kind of like this dude. And I think... They're not blind. They probably saw this performance. And to me, I feel like that's the fight that's gonna happen. Because it makes sense on so many different fronts. It makes sense for the fans. It's a great fight. Uh, Yuri was the guy before all this happened, so it makes sense for him to be there. And I think if you look at Pereira, like, I don't know, depending on who you were to give him next, he might not survive that. Like, you just never know. So, business-wise, I think it makes sense, and then you just get to. I imagine Enkalaev is probably gonna beat Johnny Walker. I don't know, I could be wrong, but then I think that's when you get to to
1: Yeah. I thought Ankalaev was gonna beat John So I'm gonna still give Johnny Walker a pass. He seems to Johnny Walker 2.0 seems to have gotten definitely a lot better, tightening up his his offense, becoming just tougher. And more destructive. I mean, he came out of the gate nicely, and then he got checked by some of the higher-ranked fighters. But it seems like now he's working his way back up. But yeah, Incoliath, man, we've seen that guy at Extreme Couture. He is a beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, really a real tough guy. Imagine his next fight, he'll, he'll come in ready to take a scalp or whatever because he was none too pleased after that draw versus... Jan Blachowicz going so far as to say he wasn't even sure he wanted to fight in the UFC anymore But really I think his frustration was more towards the commission and the, the decision. But anyway, um Derek Lewis defeated Marcos Rogerio de Lima They got promoted to the main card because Stephen Thompson and Michelle Pajeda did not compete on Saturday night Michelle Pajeda came in three pounds over Stephen Thompson would not take the fight so that fight was off and they needed to fill the main card they brought up these two cats from the prelims and boy did Derek lewis turn out to be one of the night stars he starched uh delima in 33 seconds of round one he started by with a jumping knee we call it a switch knee kind of like instead of a switch kick meaning one leg goes up but then the other one comes in with full force he landed that on delima's chin and then followed it up with some ground and pound. Uh, that fight got stopped quickly, and that was it. Then Derek Lewis takes off his shorts, <laughs> jokes about his hot balls, um, what he's gonna do to his wife later on that night, or when he gets back to H Town. But more importantly, goes, he says he's a free agent
2: right now. Uh,
1: big whoa. big
2: it's a big moment for mixed martial arts right now. I, you know, we talked about this on Spinning Back Click. I don't know what I do if I'm the UFC here because Derek's no fool. You know, he's always talked about how important money is to him. He constantly says he doesn't care about the belt. So now, if you're the UFC, you have to know that PFL has got their sights on him, right? It's a $2 million payday at the minimum, right? To fight Francis Ngannou. it's a big name people would tune in despite the first fight being an absolute snooze fest one of the worst fights in ufc history that's just not going to happen again but if you're the ufc to lock derrick lewis down you're going to have to pay him pretty good i'm not saying you got to give him two million dollars but you got to give him something something in the in a ballpark at least and are you going to do that for a guy who before this fight was kind of on a losing streak was not Really showing you that he had much left. Do you want to do that? Do you want to risk that just to kind of spite PFL and not give them what they want, or do you let him go? What message does that send to the rest of the roster right now? Now they're thinking, man, I just want to fight this contract out and get the hell out of here and go over there and make uh, two million. Here's the other thing you have to consider that we didn't talk about on spinning back click is, you know, we're hearing a lot to this Bellator PFL merger. If that happens, if you're a PFL, do you need Derek Lewis? Right? But Beltor's got decent heavyweights. So I don't know, man. There, there's a, a lot. I think it's gonna be a waiting game. I think it only benefits Derek Lewis right now, but it does uh send a message to the entire roster. The Francis Ngandu effect has started.
1: Well, he did what only all he could do, and A was I mean, look, he starts Dolima, look great. Post-fight was great, so he ticked all the boxes there. But I thought even before Saturday night, where he really impressed was he came in with some abs. You could tell this was a more serious camp, came in better, and he delivered, so he backed it up. Yes, he had lost three in a row, four of his last five, but he is only 38 years old. It blows the roof off of uh, arenas. So the UFC does have a decision to make. Now, Derek Lewis saying I'd rather stay with the UFC tells me that the uc doesn't have to necessarily give him two million dollars but at the same time i think he's probably looking for at least a million just to show i Is think you worth that? maybe i'm wrong but I. Think it does appear that way it does appear that no matter where you place him on the card you just know a ko a vicious ko might be on its way and he's an entertaining guy now maybe the uc can ask him to do a little bit more because he is kind of a quiet fella. He's in Houston. When when they ask him to show up, he shows up. But Derek Lewis is capable of headlining a fight night, no problem. ABC, ESPN, no problem. A pay-per-view? Well, of course, if he's in a title fight, sure. But um, I, I suppose you could put him in a BMF type of fight, too. But, yeah, unless he's fighting for a title, he's not going to headline a pay-per-view. But I think he can fill out a
2: pay-per-view as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. Cause that's just our guess, right? If his sites really are a two million dollar payday, obviously you're not gonna give him two million, but you would think at least half, right, would make him happy. That's still a lot of money. I don't know if the UFC's gonna gonna wanna do that. It's gonna be pretty interesting. I'm I'm shocked uh Nganu just for shits and giggles hasn't put out a tweet or something, you know. Right. Yeah, maybe because
1: that first fight was so awful. It's like it's best not to even bring that fight up until it until the second one happens and it can erase the horrible taste that we have in our mouths from the first one. Mm-hmm. It's best not to even bring it up. But yeah, like these two are brutal. I mean, they are some of the heaviest hitters our sport has ever known, but they also had a horrific first fight. I don't think the, the second one could possibly be as, as horrific as this one. I just think that the moment got the best of both of them. This is when they were both a little bit younger. It was probably, what, like five years ago? Um. Anyway, continuing on here, and we'll get to Randy Couture here in just a second. Bobby Green defeated Tony Ferguson. He got him uh, with six seconds left before the fight was over. He was on his way to basically winning a 30 to 27 decision over Tony Ferguson, handing Tony Ferguson, who's 39 years old, Green's 36. Ferguson lost. Uh, is now on, on a six-fine losing streak. Um, but Green went in there and got the finish. Your thoughts on that fight, goes...
2: I think it kind of went the way we, we all thought it would. The eye poke, because I saw Tony Ferguson talk about that. The eye poke was really bad, really vicious. Like I'm surprised that his eye wasn't more red. It looked like it went under the eyelid at one point, but he bounced back from it, but he's just an older cat, man. He, he just doesn't have what he used to have, and fighters at the same time, are getting better. You know, Bobby Green is kind of tailor-made for that type of style, so it's unfortunate. It's another Tony Ferguson loss. He did take some damage. He was choked out. What do you do with him going forward? Like, it's not like Sam Alvey, where you keep him around, and look, Sam Alvey probably didn't demand a giant paycheck, I don't think, not anything near the level of Tony Ferguson, so you're gonna pay him that much money to come out and, and fight again and You got to protect this guy from himself at this point. I I, I really, as much as he sells and how people like to see him on a card, I'm more concerned about his health at this point.
1: Let's say the UFC doesn't agree and they plan to stick for him to stick around. Who would you match him up against? I guess is my next
2: question. Oh, Hmm. Somebody, somebody in the—it's uh, got to be somebody in the jiu-jitsu world, right? Maybe like a uh, like a Jim Miller-esque type fighter, a Joe Lozon, someone like that.
1: Yeah, I'm looking here. Dawson would just run through him on the ground. Fiziev would light him up on the feet. Um. So I, I man, it. I really. Can't seem to find who might be a good option for him that also appeals to him because he's an OG, he's not going to want to just dance with anyone, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I think he would have been on their jobs online.
1: Dan Hooker's kind of beating Jalen Turner and Claudio Puelez, but he used to fight the big names like you know Chandler, Felder, Poirier. Um, he is. 33 years of age. I think that one might be interesting, I guess. If they keep him around. We'll see. We'll see. He says he's going to sit down with the UFC brass and talk to him. He kind of still talks to like Like when he posts on social media, like he's a top dog, you know, within the division. So I think it's basically going to be a folk phone call. I don't know if it's going to be some crazy sit down of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but look. Him, Lewis, those guys were pretty popular in Salt Lake City. I, I don't want to in any way diminish that, but Lewis won, Ferguson didn't. The poke, I agree with Tony. That was pretty bad. That one was pretty bad. Um it happened, but you know, he chose to continue and And that's that, I guess. The other fight on the main card was Kevin Holland over Michael Chiesa kind of made it look easy. And I want to pat myself on the back on this one. This is kind of what I thought might happen due to Chiesa just not having fought in a while. Maybe what I didn't say, and I should have, is I have noticed what Chiesa did and what Kevin Holland pointed out. Sometimes when it doesn't go Chiesa's way, he just doesn't dig deep for that next gear to push past it. I'm not calling him a pussy or that he breaks or anything, but I have noticed it's just something where it's just this quick little tune out. And it's similar to I'll compare it to the movies. Remember the movies like top gun when he's like, talk to me goose, talk to me. And in the meantime, Iceman's in that battle with those Migs and he's asking for, for uh, Maverick to come back and re-engage but he's kind of like having that one moment of, like, self-doubt, right? Or even Rocky, when he's in the fight and, you know, he just doesn't know that if he has it to continue to, you know, to get up or whatever, and, and then he does and he comes back, that he has that one moment and it just seems like he doesn't come, like he he just shuts it down a little bit and then, the you know, I'm not saying he quits quits, he just doesn't dig deep. And um, Kevin Holland actually pointed that out in the post-fight speech now Kiesa started to take out his gloves. I thought that might be it, but it wasn't. It says he'll be back, but more than anything, that in 18 months off, I just wasn't so sure. Plus, I knew that Kevin Holland was a little underrated. I pointed it out on our show or one of those. I said he's a Travis Luther black belt. Uh, uh, you know, I thought I, I I don't know if I predicted that he could sub Kiesa, but what I did think was that was that he would be able to handle himself on the ground with Kiesa. Anyway, he wins. He looked great. He says he's not that interested in welterweight, even though I think he looks phenomenal at welterweight. Says he'd rather be a middleweight, but I don't know. I don't know if he's got a strong enough frame for that division. What did you think of that Mike?
2: I think he's got to fill out if he's got to do middleweight, and even then, I feel like he'd still be maybe a little undersized. But I thought it was a, I mean, it was a great scenario for him. Michael Chiesa, though, like, jeez you know, such a long layoff and then to come out and have that type of performance. And I don't think you can attribute it to ring rust. I think you just look at it and just say, man, this guy was just better than you that night. And he really didn't have much in that fight to offer. It was, it was kind of strange. And and I kind of understand what you guys mean by, I thought Kevin Holland didn't need to say those things, but, but it made sense. And I think, That's going to have two different reactions, right? It's either going to light a fire under Michael Kiesa and he's going to want to get back in there as quickly as possible because he didn't really take much damage, Uh, go in there and kind of rectify what had happened. Or he might agree with it and just say, you know what? I kind of have this comfy job here with UFC and uh, I think it's time to hang him up. That, That could happen as well.
1: And guess what, folks? I've seen this in some other fighters, too. I think McGregor has a little bit of this as well. He's a big front runner when he's pouring it on. Now, I've seen him fight out of this before because I thought Nate Diaz in the second fight was starting to turn a corner. And McGregor dug deep, man. He won a decision off him by going five rounds. We didn't think he could. But I've also seen McGregor fights where when he does go on the ground, uh, once he's running low on gas, he just, that's it. Here comes the tap, not too low too much further after that. So I don't want to isolate him. Kiesa. I want, I've seen this in other athletes as well, but Mark um, praise to Kevin Holland on what he did, and I hope he sticks to welterweight. Okay, well, we'll unpack the rest of the card. we looks let's get this Randy Couture interview done here. Um, the OG sat with us, and uh, it's always a great chat with him. Of course, PFL has the first of three playoff runs here in August, that will determine the fighters that will be competing in october or later this year i should say for their million dollar fights their finals so right now we're in the semi-final stages and uh, of course with couture we talk about a lot of different topics Nation, what's going on? Gorgeous Georgian and are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Today, Randy Couture, who needs no introduction, joins us here on the hotline. Of course, working for the PFL, calling their fights. It's playoff season, Randy. Um, yeah, this is kind of like, uh, you know, in all the other sports, you know, where we yep. now separate the regular season from the playoffs. And that's yeah. what the play- uh, PFLs kind of created these last few years. What have you noticed <laughs> now that they've done this? A few years now that you've actually enjoyed uh, differentiating the re- regular season and the playoffs. Is it just? Is it as simple as the intensity even rises? What What, what yeah, if, you know, well, you have you I think
0: I think that's absolutely
1: one layer of that. Uh, as we move into the playoffs and the championship,
0: really, the championship view really becomes clear. Uh, the stakes go up, and, and these guys turn it up. Uh, obviously, they're one match away from being in the finals and, and a shot at that shiny belt and a and million-dollar check. So uh, there's no way the intensity can't go up in that circumstance. It's interesting, I think, how during the regular season, depending on how things unfold and how these guys get matched up, how, and some of the intensity and some of the things that happen uh, in the regular season. Then, of course, you know who advances, and, and then the playoffs become even more critical. And there's no way uh, that that doesn't enter these guys' minds. They know what's at stake.
1: Yeah, and you know what? The the cool thing about it is, like we've stated since this started years ago, you win and you're in. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no sitting around going, "Well, now what? What if next week so and so impresses? Yeah. You know, and steals the show, or or maybe talks a good game behind the mic? <laughs> maybe the champ might want to fight him and pay per view points. There's none of that. Just win and you're in.
0: Yeah, absolute meritocracy, and your destiny is in your own hands. It's up to you to go out there and let it hang out, do what you have to do to try and get those finishes and score those bonus points. Uh, You know, the bonus points in the playoffs become – they're not critical. It doesn't matter. There there are no bonus points on the line. It's literally win or go home.
1: Randy, we were messing around with Josh Silvera. Boy, that guy's actually pretty cool, man. We had a good conversation, and at the end I told him, hey, bro, who wins in this street fight? And let's see if you can guess the theme. He guessed the theme. You're going to guess it too. But <laughs> I go, here we go. I go, Velasquez, Bader, Henderson, Silvera, and Dalloway are in a bar. And there's five other guys, Cormier, Couture, Munoz, Hendrix, and King Mo. They're on the other side. So he guessed the theme. <laughs> OSU versus ASU. But he says the ASU guys, he they they, they, they just got too much uh, weapons weaponry on their side. Um, campaign for your side, man. What What do you think? And, and what I'm getting at mostly is these schools have just delivered so many great fighters to our sport.
0: Yeah, they have. Um, You know, obviously, mine and Cormier and Johnny Hendricks, uh, a bunch of us came out of that Oklahoma State camp, and and uh, Arizona State. You know, we had we had a solid rivalry in wrestling, and and certainly a lot of guys from the Arizona State area uh, have orate right into mixed martial arts as well. And I think in many ways, MMA has become the professional outlet for amateur wrestlers, certainly for collegiate wrestlers, and and I think a bunch of our Olympians as well. Um, so I, I quickly delineated the theme there as you made your teams. That, that, that's funny. That would be fun. That would be a hell of a practice room. I'll tell you what. You could sell popcorn to that training session.
1: Well, that's Didn't what I we- told Josh, I said, dude, make this a pay-per-view. I, I'll pay for this pay-per-view right <laughs> now to see you guys. We, we'll use the the uh, glass bottles, the the ones that you guys <laughs> use in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's sugar. fine. We'll, we'll we'll do a real bar style, and and then those breakable breakaway chairs. I'd yeah. love to see that, man.
2: That'd be yeah. fun. Old oh, school. Didn't we get a piece for? of that, George and King of Queens? That we kind of got a little bit of it, right? Hendo, it, it, yeah. it was a little. Yeah, who are you Kevin, aiming for, uh, by Kevin, the way? Kevin
0: got to, to to be kind of the guy that created at least one of those episodes in a season, and that was the episode that he wanted to create. Obviously, he's a huge fan of MMA, so yeah. pulling me and Hendo and, and Rampage and Trigg in uh, w- was a lot of fun. It was it was a fun episode.
1: If that if that fight, silly fight, did break out, who are you going after and who are you avoiding? The other side remembers Velasquez, Bader, Dan Henderson, Silvera, and all the way. Well,
0: <laughs> I'm going to avoid Dan Henderson. You kidding me? I
1: don't think anybody wants that H bomb dropped on me. The okay.
0: <laughs> He's the first guy to not me on my ass. That's the truth of the matter. And, uh, I, you know, I got him a time or two as well. So we had a, uh, a, a longstanding friendship from the national team and open team quest together. Me, me, Matt, Danny, and, and Robert Fallis. uh, Founded that gym and, and you know, the plethora of guys that came out of that place is ridiculous. I mean, it was an amazing place. But, uh, yeah, Danny's the guy I'm going to avoid.
1: And in between then, you guys created Raw, right? Back in the day? <laughs> uh
0: Back in the early days, uh, Rico Ciparelli had yeah. uh, the idea to uh, create real American wrestling and pull... Mm-hmm some of the best wrestlers from the national team and the collegiate ranks and, and create a MMA team that came from that background. And uh, we ended up getting challenged because of the name. Cause raw was already taken by the WWE. Right. So, so we had to change it. Um, to, I, I think, uh, we ended up going with R2 or, uh, something like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, uh, fun era and certainly how I launched my career. Re- you know, Chip really helped me get into that that first UFC and Danny, you know, went down to Brazil to to jungle fights down there. Tom Erickson was a guy that was part of the oh. team back then. Big uh, cat. Frank Trigg, uh, Dennis Hall, Matt Lindland. I mean, it was all a
1: bunch of uh, very, very good wrestlers. Uh, the, hey, you know, in a way, me, I'm sorry to cut you off, sir. In oh, a way, can't we almost credit Rico. I don't know what your relationship was, is with him, but from what I heard, this guy wrestled at Iowa, but he mm-hmm. also had a modeling career, and then overseas, apparently, when he did do some modeling, um, either he versed himself or someone did it for him in terms of those, well, I think we call them perpetuary rights or something like that, rights in pre- preparation, you know, like... Uh-oh. And that that transferred over to you guys, who I guess your rights and image, you know, we know that the UFC kind of owns a lot of you going forward. But I heard he he was the one that kind of alerted some of you guys to some of those rights and holding on to some of those rights. I'm sorry, to really I don't, go I off don't remember.
0: I don't here, remember but, having that. Con- I don't remember having that conversation with with Rico or Lou because right? Lou Cipriani was kind of the nuts and bolts guy of, of that relationship. He was the one doing the the with and dealing with the contracts. Rico was more the trainer. He was the wizard. Mm. He was this funk master from Iowa. He was, a, I think, a three-time national champ for, for the Hawkeyes. He had a funky style, a la Ben Askren, very Ben Askren, has got in these weird Gumby positions, and you never knew who had who until that guy was on his back and getting pinned. It was a pretty amazing style. But he had a unique insight in how to – fashion wrestlers and fit wrestling situations and circumstances into that cage. He understood how jiu-jitsu worked as well. Uh, so he was a wealth of knowledge early in my career for sure. But I don't think I ever had a talk with Lou about the business side of things. We signed those contracts and you know with SEG and and we ended up in a big title, you know, a, a rhubarb over the over the contract with, with Bob Meyerwood company when they owned it. Uh I yeah. had just signed with new management with Dana White and company bought the brand and and started Zufa and those were the guys Peter Levin and Jeremy Lappin from battle management were the guys that educated me on what an ancillary it was and how horrible this contract was that that they were wanting me to sign as a heavyweight champion and they were the ones that educated me on that and, and helped me to kind of stand up and try and keep control of my ancillary rights in a lot of those categories
1: isn't it funny how 20 25 years later Another extreme couture heavyweight kind of stood up for himself and then wound up getting, you know, this this amazing deal with PFL in 2024 yeah. for MMA and then the boxing match since the last time we spoke. Now it's official. Yeah. He's boxing yeah. Tyson Fury. Did he pick your brain a lot? Did he know about the history of how you stood up for yourself back in the day? And I, you know, I think and, he's and, aware of that history, but uh, and
0: everybody assumes that him and I had long conversations about about you know my perspective and what was going on in 0607 you know 050607 that le- ultimately led to to my rhubarbs with with Dana and, and Zufa, uh, but we actually never talked. I've talked to Eric, uh, obviously who's Francis's head trainer and, and head coach. Uh, yeah. And obviously Eric was around here back then, so he he knew firsthand what was going on. But I've actually never talked to Francis about that. Uh, Francis has got a good head on his shoulders. I was very impressed with him and his contributions to all the meetings in Saudi Arabia, talking about you know being the chairman of PFL Africa and. Uh, his vision and how he wants to create facilities and create opportunities for all those folks in Africa that grow up, up and are in the same boat that he was in trying to find those opportunities. So I was very, very impressed with him. Um, He's a very smart guy. He's not just a big beast of an athlete.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm very proud of him as well. He stuck to his guns and I hope he enjoys the fruits of all this because he took a lot, you know, he took a lot of criticism, but now he, looks like he gets the final say. Um let me ask you about ESPN. You guys are going to be on ESPN on the 4th. Um in San Antonio, then you guys go to New York. Well, you guys have been on ESPN a lot this year. Yeah. What has been your feedback as, in terms of um because we're out of pandemic, all sports are out there so it's not like, oh, wow. they're looking for time to fill. What have you heard that they've been enjoying I, about God. PFL that they that you guys are now pretty much featured on ESPN quite a bit?
0: Yeah. Ratings. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business and it still boils down to ratings and and the PFL fights and the shows have been getting very, very good ratings. And I think that's why they keep rolling us into big ESPN, not just ESPN plus or ESPN Two this season. So, and boy, have the fighters stepped up and and lived up to that. The, The regular season was ridiculous. Some huge upsets, some fights that happened that you could have never called. I mean, yeah, uh, really, really intense and and really fun. It was a really fun season.
2: Randy, of the fighters that are back again for this season, who do you think has made the biggest strides? Who's changed the most from last year?
0: Gosh, uh, well, you you mentioned you know before we we started uh, Josh Silvera, and you just talked to Josh and look how far Josh has come in two years. Um, I think he's just just coming into his own and and really kind of figuring out who he is and how he fits into this sport. Obviously, he's grown up in in the environment. His wrestling background is very, very solid at at Arizona State. You know, made it through the Challenger all the way to the finals last year and came up a little short, and he's just been a man on a mission this season. I've been very, very impressed with him. Chris Wade getting a nod and and filling in the spot for Movalid Haibalaev, who injured himself and couldn't go into the playoffs. And Chris, if you look at him in all, all the five seasons, you know, moving up, actually moving down from 155 to 45 to keep himself in the PFL. And he just keeps refining and keep keeps getting better tactically and technically. He implements his his wrestling pedigree very, very well. You know, he was a state champion in New York, which is a great wrestling state. Uh he implements that into his fighting very, very good. And and you know, could he make 45? And and boy, he settled right in there. He looks great at that weight. Uh, I think he, he still brings some of the power that he had at 55. He's got a great ga- gas tank, and, and he's he's done a great job. So I'm happy that, you know, he, he did everything right in the regular season. And then Ho- Jesus Pinedo comes in, drops the knee on Brendan Lachnane, scores six quick points, and takes, takes him out uh, of the playoff picture um, after he got a second-round finish and did what he needed to do to secure a playoff spot. So uh, I don't think anybody could have anticipated that. And I'm sure Chris was flabbergasted when that went down, like all of us, like what the heck just happened? Um, But I'm glad to see him get the nod and get back in there because he's been on a mission and really seen him make the changes. And with that being said, he had a big match with Bubba Jenkins two seasons ago. And and he out wrestled Bubba Jenkins, a, a division one national champion for Arizona State. And I think everybody was a little surprised by that, including Bubba Jenkins. And it was a humbling experience for Bubba. And consequently, I think we've seen Bubba Jenkins come back, humbled, hardworking, done the work with Dewey Cooper. He's letting his hands go and being a much more well-rounded fighter and not just a one-trick pony. He's very good at taking guys down and smothering them, but he but he kind of let a bunch of the rest of his game uh, go to the wayside just to, to win that way. And I think we're seeing a much more exciting Bubba Jenkins, and he's going to be tough to beat this season.
2: You know, I can't imagine the level of stress that goes into this whole season, playoffs, all that for these fighters. Because Essentially, it's one giant camp, right? So I I was kind of talking about this earlier in the day with another fighter, and we were talking about the stresses of the regular season, right, Mm -hmm. and everything you have to go through to hope that you can make it to the playoffs. Yep. But then once you get to the playoffs, it's not like you can go, Well, that was right. Now it's a whole new stress. There's a lot of money on the line. Can you maybe talk about what you feel like the mentality is for the regular season? And then what happens in a fighter's mind come playoff time? How do you balance it all?
0: Yeah, I I think you have to put it in proper perspective or frame, put the proper frame around that and keep it in perspective. Take it one fight at a time. Go out, do your job. Um, not let the nerves and and the extraneous stuff get in your head because if it does, it'll shut you down and and nothing will shut you down quicker than that fear, that fear of failing. So you have to develop those mental skills. I think you have to front load your camp. That first camp has to be a full camp and be in shape and then try and do your best to be as aggressive as you can be to score those bonus points, but not put yourself out there in harm's way and get injured because you're going to turn around and fight again in, in seven or eight weeks. You're literally signing up to fight four times in eight months. I mean, that's, that's a tall order. And so that, you have to approach that appropriately. And I think a, a lot of marquee fighters are looking at the PFL and saying, wow, they're paying well. I'm going to jump over there. I don't think there's anybody in that league that can hang with me. And they are sorely mistaken. We've seen it time and time again. There's a lot of very tough cats in the PFL. You know, ask Anthony Pettis or Fabricio Verdum or and go on down the list. Rory McDonald, a lot of marquee guys uh, that I think thought they were just going to wade in and wade through everybody and it was going to be an easy day, and, and it's not an easy day, and I think they all realize that now.
1: Can we still say that the free agency worked out for the PFL, even though some of the guys they wrote big checks for, like you said, maybe just got checked, came up short? Is it working in the sense that they created new stars from the guys that beat them? What do you think going forward? Is that still the recipe, sign a few guys? and see how it goes, or do those yeah, I, guys I, I, have to come in and succeed because they are the the big names, you know, the established names, the ones that ESPN wants to, I guess, promote? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you
0: really walk a fine line there, don't you? Those are marquee names. Those are guys that I think the average fan looking at it too expected them to come in and just blow through people, and, and obviously it didn't go that way for any of them. And, and I think that's a, a tribute to – the format, a tribute to all the other countries that are involved in this format, and the level of athleticism in the in the sport of mixed martial arts right now is at an all-time high, I think, across the board. Um, so, yeah, I, I get it. I think at the end of the day, it, like I said, it is a business. You know, we are on ESPN. It's not like you're, you're, we have launched the pay-per-view model yet. Last year's final was a, was a pay-per-view, you know. I didn't necessarily agree with that decision. I think we've been giving it away free on on ESPN all the season, and then to turn around at the last second and and do a pay-per-view for the final, uh, you know, I had several people text me about that, but that was a decision that was made well above me. I think the pay-per-view model will launch and it will be a success because of the stars that we built, like the Kayla Harrisons and and the Brendan Locke names and and on down the list um, that have become much more popular and, shown their abilities in the PFL cage that later down the road in the, in the pay-per-view model are going to do very, very well. Uh, You know, certainly Francis is going to show up there. I think that's where we'll see Kayla. Maybe that's where Kayla gets a rematch with Pacheco. I mean, who knows, but uh, we're definitely taking the time through the season to build some stars and you get to see some people's character, how they deal and face the adversity that this sport brings and you, you get to see who you want to root for and who you want to root against in the season format, too. I think those are all positive things that are, that are affecting the ratings and why we're being put back on ESPN a lot more this season.
1: You strike me always as a guy that is happy for the success of the sport. And you being one of the early pioneers with you know decisions you made that may have affected the future generations, I know that there might be times where you're frustrated when you read a news story about the way a fighter's, you know, acting or portraying themselves, but then there's gotta be times where you're smiling and you're happy for some of these people that can make careers out of it, make a lot of money. What are you more frustrated or happy? uh, I'm happy.
0: I I don't get frustrated often. There are some things in our sport and I still think we have some things to improve and, you know, fighter pay is one of the things we've already talked about here, but, uh, i think getting our fair shake in the marketplace creating some transparency in our sport uh because the promoters hold all the cards right now and obviously i appreciate the way that the pfl is doing business and and they're creating their own transparency for the most part um but the sport in general i think needs some transparency so that we know exactly what these promoters are making off any given event and and then that'll, that'll give those fighters the opportunity to to negotiate for their their fair share of that pie and and that cash is generated, and I think we're still stuck at about 13 to 15 percent of the cash that comes in from any single event going to the fighters on that card. I don't know how the you know honestly I'm not privy to the contracts and these fighters are under in the PFL and what they're getting paid. And I'm not sure how that affects that that percentage, but I know uh, the numbers that I've seen crunched through the MMAFA and, and other sources as we try to get the OLLI Act amended and some of the other stuff I've been involved with in the last eight years or so. Um, that those were the numbers that came out and, uh, I'm not sure if, if the PFL, you know, calculating the PFL in those percentages has changed that at all. Cause obviously there's a whole bunch of the roster that's getting paid very, very well in the PFL. probably many of them would have taken years, if at all, to get into the six figures that a lot of guys in the PFL are making. So, uh, that's, I think another plus, Certainly from the fighter's perspective, you know when your next fight is, you're not waiting for that phone to ring, but you also better figure out what you signed up for. You signed up for a lot of fights in eight months and how to manage that. Keep your your, your, your camps proper and, and take care of yourself and manage the injuries, but at the same time, be in peak shape and ready to go out there every eight weeks and get it done.
1: Yeah. See, I, I tend to be more of a bitter bastard sometimes. <laughs> you know, like when, when I was younger, Magic Johnson signed a contract 25 million for 25 years, so it was one million a year, and we all went, Wow, right? Yeah, happy, happy for Magic Johnson. You know, there's a guy named Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics that just signed for five years 304 million, wow. all of it guaranteed, all of it guaranteed. Wow. And then there's rumors of the Saudi leagues in soccer paying guys over 100 million euros to play there one season. Wow. It's ridiculous. And I know that there's this money available for a lot of the MMA athletes. Mm-hmm. I, I I also feel like sometimes the MMA athletes need to be shaken and woken up because they don't realize just how valuable that they are, you yeah. know, and, and and how much more lucrative this could be for them. Uh, I yeah. know some of it takes collective a collective bargaining, but so many athletes that just, Oh, whatever they decide, whatever someone else decides, I'm just here to fight. Oh man. No, be more, be more into your brand folks. You know, I agree.
0: I agree with that statement hundred percent George. And that's been the biggest issue with creating a fighters association is to get certainly that top tier top 5% of the fighters that are making good money and good, but they're signing those crappy contracts and signing their ancillary rights away. If, If we at the top, Demand some better treatment, demand some transparency, which is exactly what Francis tried to do with, mm-hmm. with the UFC. He wanted some advocacy for the fighters. It wasn't about the money. The money they were throwing at him was as good as anybody's making in our sport right now. Was it boxing money? Absolutely not. But you know, what's he going to make on this Tyson Fury fight? That's going to be interesting. Ask, you know, why is Jake Paul, you know, the mouth for MMA when he hasn't even fought in MMA yet? because yeah, he brought right. in some MMA guys like Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren and Anderson Silva to do these thrillers. and those guys made more money from that one boxing match than they've ever made in MMA, which is ridiculous. And if it takes a guy like Jake Paul to shine a light on the disparaging difference in our sports and the issue in our sport, then I'll get behind that guy all day long. Well, I'm not a fan of, of, of the trolling and the, and the rhetoric, but he's backed it up. He's stepped yeah. in there. He's done the work. He's talented. He's got a great platform. And he's helping all of us as MMA fighters by shining a light on that and by poking Dana White in the chest the way he
1: does. Yeah. You know, Boa Jenkins says he's a friend of the Whitakers, the son and the, the pernell who's no longer with us. And I go, oh. well, by coincidence, you're fighting in San Antonio while pernell Whitaker challenged Julio Cesar Chavez. This was 30 mm. years ago, Randy. Yeah. And Julio Cesar Chavez made five million, and Pernell Whitaker made two million, which which back then was a lot of money, but yeah. even now it is a lot of money in combat sports, which we don't see those types of paydays as much in MMA, you know. Yeah. But thirty years have have gone by since that fight. Uh, wow. Cesar Chavez, by the way, was eighty seven and zero going into that fight. Can you believe getting an eighty seven and zero?
0: That's that is amazing. That is truly amazing.
1: Yeah. As always, sir, it's a pleasure and an honor having you on Junkie Radio. We always learn so much and cover so much. So we thank you for the time. And thank you uh, guys. good luck with everything on the Hollywood side. I know there's some stuff, you know, stuck at a standstill there for the writers, the actors. We we wish you the yeah. best there too. I know you got some big stuff coming up too.
0: I think it'll settle out. I absolutely. You know, obviously it always does. I think I don't I'm not sure they're even talking yet, but at some point. I think they'll get down to brass tacks and we'll get to the bottom of the issues there. Obviously the digital platforms are a huge, you know, huge piece of that puzzle and and getting residuals paid properly through the digital platforms is what a lot of this is about. The AI thing is another thing that is bothering Mm. some actors and bothering some of the writers because they're using these algorithms that literally have every script ever written in these algorithms. So you feed your script through there and it compares and contrasts your script through AI with every other script that's in that same genre. And then it gives you ideas and ways to change your script to make it better. It's pretty interesting, but at the same time, if you're a writer, that's gotta be a kind of a slap in the face that, you know, people are just gonna start using AI to, to write scripts and take the creative element and the human element out of, out of that process. So I think those are the two big sticking points in this strike. I think we'll get to the bottom of it for sure. Um, you know, it, it is what it is, it's part of, of our society. Uh, you know, obviously, unions and all that stuff were created for a reason because we needed them. I think some of them have gotten way too powerful and swing way too big a stick. It, it, it's not—it's not reasonable anymore. But uh, at the end of the day, we still need them, uh, and, and this is no different. So.
2: And mm-hmm. We don't want to get you in trouble with SAG or anything. we we'll, we'll <laughs> out. When no, I, don't, out I don't think I'm
0: saying anything inflammatory. I,
2: you know, no, no. But you I brought out it, the guns, remember, and a little while ago <laughs> we were like, "Hey, you can't promote things here, Mr. Coates." <laughs> yeah.
0: No, yeah. Uh, Expandables <laughs> comes out on the 22nd of September. It hits the theaters, and I don't think anybody's going anything is going to stop that. Certainly not the strike. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I think hopefully it'll settle by then because there's a lot of people relying on on. You know, on that money, on having that job. So, I don't. you don't want to see this drag out six months or nine months. That's a lot of people out of work for a long time.
1: Hey, by the way, is forgetting a line or messing up a line almost as nerve-wracking as the first couple of times you fought? Do you have a no, good story it, to share in that regard? Or have yeah. you always been a good point when you're delivering your lines?
0: That's the beauty of acting, right? I didn't like that take. Let's do it again. You don't get that opportunity in a, in a real fight. Um, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, you know, most scenes you're doing six to eight, sometimes 10 takes and you're tweaking things, everything from camera speed and changing the angle to maybe shuffling the dialogue a little bit too. So you have to be flexible, be able to, you know, know your lines, know your cues, that's your, that's your castmates lines as well, because when they say that you got to say this and you know, all that fits together. So, um, Have you ever flubbed your lines pretty bad? I've I've flubbed up some lines here and there for sure. The the first thing I did wrong was, and this was Cradle to the Grave, my very first film, I had a fight scene with Jet Li. And I'm supposed to throw a right hand right at him. And then, you know, his whole stick in the movies, he's got his hand in his pocket. He doesn't want to fight anybody. And he's just supposed to dodge anything I throw at him. Well, I throw this right hand. Thankfully, I didn't hit him in the face. But I ran him over. I mean, he did not see it coming. I was supposed to wind up and throw a big haymaker that he could get out of the way of. I'm a fighter. That's not what we do. I literally just launched it right from my cheek. I didn't hit him in the face, but I definitely ran him over in the cage and the director went Ape shit. It was, I was like, dude, I'm sorry. He was fine. Uh, and he thought it was funny. Um, but, uh yeah, that was a big faux pas for me, for sure. And learning, you know, the difference between a movie punch and a real punch you know, and all that stunt stuff, that, that was a big learning curve for me.
1: I'm glad I asked that. I got this Bell's palsy, and you just made me laugh. I haven't laughed much in the <laughs> last few months, but I literally cracked up at that, man. The director, the director got mad at you. <laughs> That's oh, <hilarious>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Awesome, thanks, Randy. Dan over Thank the man. star of the
1: movie. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sharing that. We'll talk soon. All right, take care. Yeah, you guys be well. All thanks right. for having me on. And yes, uh, aside from talking about different topics, we also got to the movies as well. Uh, his movie will be coming out soon. The Expendables uh, has been a nice franchise with a lot of stars, and I'm glad Randy's been a part of that. And it looks like Randy goes. Um, they kind of avoid what's happening in Hollywood right now with that strike with writers and actors and I guess that applies to ongoing shows and movies. Things that aren't done. This movie's in the can. It's ready for release.
2: I think what happens though is so like a lot of these movies that have come out, like The Haunted Mansion just came out, but Mm -hmm. at the premiere none of the the actors that were involved in it showed up. Mm. So it sucks because they're not able to like promote what they've already done and um You know, hopefully that doesn't fall on them, but uh, I'm just shocked that Interviewing randy couture for so long. I would have never Thought that he'd he'd have this kind of presence in hollywood, but he does Sat some pretty decent roles mm-hmm.
1: That said, uh, The movies right now supposedly are killing it with Mission Impossible and Barbie and Oppenheimer and a few Mm. others. I heard they're doing good numbers. I don't know if their actors have been doing red carpets and shit.
2: Yeah. That Jet Li story was pretty funny, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So the rest of the card was as follows. Gabriel Bonfim defeated Trevin Giles. C.J. Vergara defeated Vinicius Salvador. Now, Salvador was the other party who came in heavy, Michelle uh, Michelle Fajeda came in three pounds over. That's why that fight didn't occur. But this fight did occur. Uh, CJ Vergara and Vinicius Salvador proceeded. Um, Salvador had to give up 20% of his purse to CJ Vergara. And Vergara wound up getting the decision unanimous 29-28 across the board. So he gets his show, win, and uh, 20% of Salvador's pay. By the way, I don't know if I addressed this or not, but according to Mike Vaughn, Mike, uh, Steven Thompson didn't get paid his show money, even though he made weight in the past. We've definitely seen the UFC pay the fighters that make the weight if something happens where their fight falls through. They don't have to because the fight didn't occur, but we've seen it in the past. I was disappointed to hear that. Now, to be fair, Steven Thompson was going to be on today's MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, and I'm sure. That will be addressed, and maybe there'll be an update, and we'll be sure to let you guys know on Thursday show. So we'll uh, – or perhaps there'll be a, a, re- a recap on Junkie about that topic. Roman off looked great, man, against Claudio Rivero. Hibeto, oh, excuse me, head kick KO there. Jake Matthews defeated Darius Flowers, a submission, rear naked choke there. Uros Medic defeated Matthew Semelsberger. TKO Stoppage. Miranda Maverick defeated Pris- Priscilla Cachoeta. Submission via armbar. So we had a lot of finishes in Salt Lake City. Only two fights went to a decision. So did it produce a bunch of bonuses? Nope. <laughs> um no fight of the night. Okay. Performance of the night. Gagey. Yeah, it was a nice KO head kick. Derek Lewis, yep, the jumping knee got it started. The punches followed up. Bobby Green, it was clutch. It was clutch. He was going to go to a decision, but he kept going for it, going for it. And he got the submission via arm triangle choke. And then Kevin Holland, he got the Bravo choke on Kiesa. But mm-hmm. what about Bonfim's submission? What about Kovalev's head kick KO goes? Because Kovalev looked great, but then Hebeto was putting it on Kovalev, then Kovalev came back man like i was a little disappointed there i thought that had the possibility of a fight of the night but i thought for sure kavalov would get rewarded uh you know the spinning back backfist by earl's medich was kind of money even though sam ellsberger was taking it to him as well I, i'm i bummed out a little bit here you know utah the crowd was eighteen thousand four hundred and sixty-seven with a gate goes of
2: 6.5 million yeah I thought Kapoloff's performance was one of the standout performances, so that kind of shocked me. Yeah. Now,
1: the UFC will say we take care of him. We'll take care of him. Don't worry. So I guess we just won't worry. But any thoughts on any of those um, freedom (laughs) fights that I mentioned? I know I ran through them. Bonfim, Vergara, Kapolov, Matthews, Medich, Maverick, anything there?
2: Bonfim is is an outlaw, dude. Like I I love (laughs) watching that guy fight. I want him to be back as soon as possible. He's a tough out. And then Miranda Maverick, I thought, was impressive coming back uh, and getting that submission win. I thought that was big for her.
1: I would agree. I would agree with all that, yeah. Um. All right. Just in recap here, as you get out, and out of your lives here for a Monday show, um, Pejeda clarified that the Adesanya trilogy will happen, but at middleweight. Right now, he's focusing on light heavyweight. So for those of you wondering what happens there. Now, that said, it doesn't mean Izzy also can't come back up and try his hand at being a champ champ if somehow they mm-hmm. lock up. So who knows how this thing will work out. Jorge Masvidal does confirm that he lost 100000 because he bet Poirier to meet Gagey, so he actually owned up to that. I don't know how that'll make Gagey feel uh, when they see each other at ATT. Uh, but, hey, at least he thought... He can look back and see that his <laughs> teammate had confidence in him.
2: Do you know how uh, horrible that must feel, though? That amount of money, losing mm-hmm. that amount of money, and then having to put the belt around the guy that took it from you? Like, we, we've never had to do that, right? Like, we've never handed a Super Bowl trophy to someone that just lost us a shit ton of money. Yeah, I hear you, man.
1: Um, over at Bellator, Patricky Frady defeated Roberto Souza, so he advances in the Bellator lightweight grand prix as you know aj mckee his opponent had to pull out but what we're hearing is it wasn't a serious injury or anything like that it was a staff infection that they feel will clear will uh clear up and so mckee has been branded the alternate going forward they already have their four semi-finalists but if something were to happen aj mckee will join uh rejoin i guess the grand prix but pr- Shout out to Patricky Frady for winning that fight. They had a vacant flyweight title that they weren't able to uh, anoint a new champion because they had a no contest due to an eye injury there. So I guess they'll have to rebook that or figure it out. And I guess other than that, just lock it in on MMA Junkie and check out our post-fight coverage of UFC. 291. A couple of big nights that have big fights that have been added. Santiago Ponzinibbio mm-hmm. versus D. Rod. That's happening at uh, the Uf- the Noche UFC, which is on September 16th, the same night as Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko. So that's Mexican Independence Day. That's why they're calling it Noche UFC. And then again, Johnny Walker versus Magomed Ankalaev at UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi. All right, folks, we're out of here. Enjoy your Monday. Don't forget to go back and check out Spinning Back Click uh, over at the YouTube channel. We did a lot of unpacking of the big stories from this past week there as well. I think you guys will really love it. Everyone that I've run into in the past few weeks have told me they love watching Spinning Back Click. So we're going to give you constant reminders and nudges of that. All right, we'll see you on Thursday's show. Go out and be a champion. Talk soon.